Oh, it's about weightlessness. You're not going to be able to put it down. (laughs) (laughs) What? Uh, Man, that joke was heavy. Uh, So here we are. Another episode of Screen Fix, where we will fix a recent film and give you a little bit of movie news. With me always are the hosts that carry the show. Say hi to everyone, Lady One. Hi, everybody. <laughs> and how about you, Mustachio? Say hi to our crowd. Hey, everybody. Have you done anything uh, this weekend, TV, film-related? Uh, maybe you watched a uh, documentary on bovine breeding. I, just w- whatever you did. Just let us know what you did this weekend. Let us know, Lady One. <laughs> We want to know. Go. One of these days, those weird guesses that you have is going to be accurate, and I'm just going to lose my mind. Um, <laughs> I know, <laughs> right? Like, How did you know? Um, no, I caved to a drunken purchasing decision, and I bought Thor Ragnarok on iTunes, oh, and right. I just keep watching oh. it and all the features. Like, I got a DVD, like, is it back in the day? Nice. Whoa. So, nice. what features are on there on the Thor Ragnarok There's DVD? There's the director's commentary. Oh, worth yes. the purchase oh. alone like totally Taika worthwhile yes. yes is it good yes. or is he kind of bizarre oh no he's he's weird but he's like these commentaries are weird what if i just said what was going on the whole time okay <laughs> here's chris hemsworth like it's it's very self-aware of how bizarre a director's commentary alone is he's not having a conversation it's just him yeah do you have a <laughs> best dvd commentary that you've ever heard yes what is it it is the Fight Club commentary <gasps> where it's Brad Pitt oh, and Edward that's Norton. That's what I was going to say. Yes. <laughs> Whoa. Yes. Yes, 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 yes. I love them just talking the whole wow. time. Oh, it is the best commentary. Yeah. Did you glean any insights from it? Or? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. It totally Random, affects the way I watch the movie. Random scenes where Brad Pitt's character was in like the hotel staff, like, hello, everybody, like picture. Like there was like little things like Easter eggs and stuff that I found in that in that one. And Edward Norton is so knowledgeable about the book and mm-hmm. the screenplay. That one, yes, by far my favorite too. Wow. Uh, one of my favorite uh, DVD commentaries. This is gonna it's this is gonna be a non uh, conventional pick. This is this is a little weird. I'm a little embarrassing. We, we expect that my, out of you, JC. One of my <laughs> one of my favorite DVD commentaries was for Love Actually. Okay. Because it's got Richard Curtis. And it's got the the little kid. What? And I don't remember who the other person is in it, but Hugh Grant is in it as well. <laughs> but he comes <laughs> he comes in late. Which of is course, funny. he's he's late for the for the recording. So and it's really <laughs> funny because you hear him late come in. He's like, "Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry." And in his Hugh Grant way, and he's like, oh, "I'm uh, late. I was uh, whatever." And as and the thing's kind of boring, like you know. I mean, Richard Curtis is fine. He says some some pretty funny things, but as soon as Hugh Grant gets there, Hugh Grant is so funny. And I did, I don't know if I realized how humorous he was until I I watched his audio commentary. And there's this one scene where they get towards the end of the film, and it's it's the scene where him and the uh, his what was she his assistant for a while mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah. She goes to see their play. And, you know, he's obviously the prime minister and the the curtain accidentally opens or whatever. And it's them two kissing. And then they look and he's like, OK, just wave. And they both wave and whatever. <laughs> and Richard Curtis goes, oh, I always figured that that's what they would show in your Oscars in memoriam uh, <laughs> uh, clip. Really? <laughs> and <laughs> and Hugh Grant goes, 
oh, I always thought it would be my mugshot. <laughs> oh. Indeed, sir. Indeed. He was so self-aware and so funny. I, I, I loved it anyway. Nice. So, Mustachio, did you do anything this weekend? Movie, film-related. Okay. Uh, maybe you decided to take up... Uh, what is it called when you keep bees? Is that it's not horticulture? It's beekeeping, keep, apiary. <laughs> I think it's beekeeping. Yeah, if you, if you're an if you're an apiist, well, actually, maybe you like this. So I don't know. May, maybe you decided to open your own apiary and sell some mustachios, uh, 100% organic honey. But I don't know what it is. But uh, what did you do this week? Okay. This is crazy. You have gotten so close. You were in the ballpark. Apiary phonetically is kind of like ape, and you were talking about a documentary a second ago. I actually have been watching the Jane Goodall documentary, uh, Jane, and loved it. Oddly enough, that was one of your choices for movies to look out for in 2018. Yes, I was was excited to see it. It came to the screen. I, I bought it. I watched it. I cried a little bit. And Whoa. I was I was in it, like I didn't realize because because Jane is just so good all in all, so good at all things, especially sitting in the forest patiently and just waiting for the chimpanzees to accept her, and they do. It's beautiful. I loved it. Are there any moments that got a bit hairy? No pun intended. <laughs> oh yes, definitely. There, I'm not going to give anything away, but it gets intense and. You know, her heart gets broken in it uh, multiple times because this is her love. This is what she did, and she she's still doing research in this place. Um, and it's still some of the most profound, like, research in the wildlife going on and most longstanding research in wildlife history. Yes. Wow. Monkeys research. <laughs> it's good. So, anyway, uh, let's go ahead and jump into our news and our first news item. News item. <clears throat> our first news item. And by the way, we will, in this episode, be fixing... A wrinkle in time. <laughs> a wrinkle in time. We will be trying to smooth out that wrinkle. Later on in the, in the episode, we're also going to break down a very special trailer. Do you know what it is, Lady One? Um, It's taken up much of my Friday last week. It's going to be Infinity War. Yes. yes. I mean, I was yeah. really busy at work. Yeah. If anybody I work with is listening, I was totally working really, really hard. Ooh. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> on that on that screen. I might have watched it twenty two hundred times. I, I I watched it a lot. Uh anyway, we're gonna break that down for you. We're also gonna fix wrinkle in time. But first, here's a little bit of news for you. First, uh Fantastic Beasts. The Crimes of Grindelwald. So that trailer came out. And I'm wondering what thoughts we have on that. Uh, Just really quickly. So am I to understand that the plot of this is basically the plot of Harry Potter, which is Dumbledore and a student fight a powerful wizard who wants to subjugate muggles? Well, Because I feel like that was what the plot of the Harry Potter films ended up being. And I'm seeing just a mirror plot here just earlier in in time like i just feel like these aren't i want to see fantastic beasts and where to find them like i i I just i i don't know why we're returning directly back to 
Harry Potter when I really wanted to see this series go in a different direction? I mean, why aren't these Beast-related films? I, I feel like this entire series, starting with the first one, got off on the wrong foot when Newt Scamander arrives in New York City after just finishing a global jaunt to find and to record uh, this array of, of, of magical beasts. And he's just, I mean, wait a minute. Wasn't, weren't we supposed to be on that journey where he's collecting these, these beasts? Like what? So basically we get him on a, a stopover in, in New York city on his way to Arizona. <laughs> and this yep. is, and this is like 1926. Like yeah. Arizona has only been a state for maybe 10 years. at this point. <laughs> <laughs> like, like literally, but and the first one was about uh, a magical parasite that was living inside uh, the Flash. What's what's his name? <laughs> uh, Ezra, Ezra Miller. Yeah. Yeah, living inside his, his Ezra Miller, Credence, who, yeah. right? Who plays Credence? Exactly. So I'm like, ooh, parasite. Parasites aren't fantastic beasts. I I feel like the whole thing got off on the on the wrong foot anyway. And instead of course correcting, now we're just getting a rehash loosely of the plot of Harry Potter. And I was wondering uh, what you all thought of that trailer. And if you share any of these similar thoughts or if you diverge from them, go, uh, whoever wants to go first. Uh, it sounded like uh, you, you wanted to uh, mustachio. Go ahead. Yeah. I mean, I'm still excited because from our episode one, just the, the thought of young door. Um, I, I, I want to see, I want to see where where they take this because he's got this relationship with Grindelwald, the dark wizard. You know, it's going to be played by Johnny Depp. And it seems like a sexier version of a prisoner of Azkaban. Um, And if you have that, then you've got something to pay attention to. But what else is there? What else is lurking, you know, underneath? And what I've heard and what I've kind of been able to see a little bit of is there's this, you know, Obscurus that Ezra Miller's character Credence has, and it's a powerful force in the wizarding world, but he can't come out with it. He can't be known to have it. Um, I feel well, like... Well, it was that, the Obscurus was that magical parasite thing that was living inside of him that usually kills its young host. Yeah. But he's so powerful, he was able to hold it longer uh, which is why he was like an older kind of teenage child with Obscurus. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, okay. And it just—I mean, it seems—it seems like it's got a bit of allegory for um, homosexuality and what it can actually, you know, kind of say for who's hiding it. You know, what it could be like when it comes out. Is it so much of a, a threat? Does it really need to be in the shadows? Can't it be out of the shadows? Um, J.K. Rowling has even alluded to the fact that she always thought Dumbledore was gay. That pissed some people off. She came straight out and said it. She came out and said it. Oh, yeah. No, no pun intended. Yes, it is. Yeah. <laughs> it. What, are we going to see him come out of the shadows? Yay. Let's do it. Let's see it. Bring it. But, like, I understand the social warrior kind of aspect of making this that kind of story, but in the end... I just want Fantastic Beasts. <laughs> you keep you going feel? back to those beasts. That's what draws people in I, is the I name. Do. The name is what no, draws people I in. The title. I want to see the movie that happened before <laughs> the first movie happened. Like I want to see him on his journey. 
well, to collect and document beasts. He should arrive to places to try to capture and document a beast. But when he arrives, <laughs> he has to work with the locals to solve some kind of problem to be able to extract this beast. It should be like whether it's entwined into their culture or whether it's subjugating their culture yes, yes, but you're, or whether it... But you're taking he, it too literally. The Fantastic Beasts is, seems like a cloaked way of talking about these wizards that are in the shadows that want to come out of the shadows. I mean, I don't think it has anything to actually do with these griffins and these, you know, crazy, like, scaled, like, monsters that we were trying to imagine. Well, that makes my little kid heart sad. All right, go ahead. Lady Juan, <laughs> let's get your hot take, your fresh take. Go. So I know nothing about this entire world of movies, and all I took away was, like, damn, Jude Law's looking good. Right. Like... That was that was my hot take. And also Johnny Depp looks like at the end of it, he's only shown just for a second, but he looks like something has happened to him where on the outside now he looks like what he is on the inside. <laughs> Which is gr- grotesque. <laughs> yeah. Real gross. Grotesque soul. <laughs> yeah, just icky. Yeah. His outer shell just now is a visage of domestic yeah. abuse he's just it's yeah. been brought to the depths of who he is no it's been brought out of the depths uh, uh-huh. and it is now right there on the surface we know what you did Depp. we know <laughs> i remember early on in this podcast when we talked about the lanaissance mm-hmm. yes because he was in both this and captain marvel and captain marvel yeah, so you you're down with this uh mm-hmm. Lana Sans. You think he's looking he's looking fresh. Yeah. Yeah, he's N- looking good. Nobody makes Widow's Peak balding <laughs> look as hot as Jude Law does. <laughs> That's true. Mm-hmm. Nobody can rock temples like Jude Law. <laughs> it's, nobody can rock exposed temples. <laughs> like that man. Oh my goodness. Anyway, lots of ladies would like to Worship those temples, I'm sure. <laughs> Including Lady One. Uh, anyway, moving on, let's do a little segment that I've called, uh, just for this episode, Indie Corner. Insert cute, stupid indie song here. So our two indie films today that had trailers, uh, the first one is called Sorry to Bother You, and uh, it is a movie starring Lakeith Stanfield and Tessa Thompson. Uh, it also has Danny Glover and Army Hammer and uh, Stephen Yen from uh, Walking Dead. Glenn. Yeah, Glenn. who got his eyeball busted out. Glenn. Spoiler. We're glad to say his eyeball, <laughs> his eyeball is back in, and he's in this movie. And he's holding a cell phone repair store sign. And this also has the voice of David Cross. And let me explain that right now. So <clears throat> Lakeith is down on his luck. He's living in his garage or whatever. There's, there's, there's a very funny scene where the garage door opens as him and Tessa Thompson are about to get busy. And the garage door opens up, and it shows the whole neighborhood outside. Which is pretty funny. So he's living in this garage. But anyway, he ends up getting a job at this uh, telemarketing place. And he's not doing well. And then Danny Glover, his co-worker, 
tells him to use his white voice. <laughs> and Danny Glover, there's this very funny, Danny Glover's like, yeah, gotta use your white voice, yeah. <laughs> so Danny Glover, Danny Glover uh, out just busts out with this perfect white Hi, white. My name's uh, Leonard McAvoy. Exactly. So then Lakeith Stanfield learns that he has this perfect white voice that is actually dubbed in uh david cross oh it's perfect go watch the trailer right now it's hilarious go watch the trailer right now this movie looks it you know what's funny is this movie has a small budget but it doesn't look like it has a small budget the art design the direction everything in this movie is looks amazing fanciful Mm -hmm. social commentary also and i'm all about it do we have any comments about this one we'll start with you this time lady one i'm so excited to see this movie um the trailer is wild it looks so weird and funny and just exciting and as a recovered telemarketer (laughs) i'm gonna be (laughs) loving it yeah do you still remember your opening phrase from your telemarketing days (laughs) so um i've gotten rid of most of it but at the time when I was still doing it, I at one time in particular fell asleep on my friend's couch, and <laughs> according to everyone in the room, I started reading the terms and conditions in my sleep. <laughs> <laughs> so luckily, I haven't had to do that yeah. gig in quite a while, but it yes. was oh, it, it is soul crushing to be a telemarketer. So if, people hate you. Oh, if man. someone asked you to use your white voice, what would it sound like? <laughs> okay, so spoilers, I am white. So what what I do? You're like is, super uh, white. You're like British white. Yes, I am. So what I used to do was I would put on a Southern accent yep. when I heard one. So if Ooh. I like, if they picked up the phone and they sounded Southern, I actually had to do political calls for a while because I was really bad at the sales calls. So they didn't want me hurting their ratio numbers. So they put me on political, and I'd be like, "Hi, I'm just calling to talk to you about the Pickens plan." Um, the Pickens plan, plan is sponsored by T Boone Pickens, and he has some ideas about oil drilling, and we really need to get support for oh this. Oh my god, that's so and, good! Yeah, uh, so it was always the Pickens plan. <laughs> um, how about you, Mustachio? Sorry to bother you. Film by Boots Riley. What do you think about it? Go. Oh, I'm so excited. This looks hilarious. David Cross, like the voice, has me like laughing my ass off. But I, I just hope this movie takes a, like like a candid look at the fact that the the white voice is what's getting him to move up the corporate ladder. And I hope it's as honest as it is funny. And I have no doubt that it will. Like Keith Stanfield, that coming off of just being in Get Out, I, I feel like there's like a great moment. And also the series Atlanta. Atlanta, yeah. I feel like this issue for the like the natural black voice and his diction is you know that it's too off-putting for a leadership sales job is bullshit so i wanted to take a funny look at it but also point out what's wrong well i think boots riley would definitely point out what's wrong but in the most creative way possible look it looks like for this i mean so uh boots riley grew up around radicals he joined the progressive labor party when he was only 14 years old and he founded the uh, political hip-hop group, The Coup. I mean, he's been a social justice warrior probably his entire life. His uh, Mama Rhythm Collective put on hip-hop edutainment concerts. He encouraged groups to put on guerrilla hip-hop concerts on a flatbed truck, which traveled through Oakland protesting uh, 
Proposition 21 in California, which was where they were trying to increase uh, the criminal penalties for crimes committed by youth, and he was fighting against that as well. But anyway, he's a big social justice warrior, and this is his uh, directorial debut, and I am excited, and I think the time is now for this this strong voice. I mean, right on the heels of things like Black Panther... Wrinkle in time, heels, boots. <laughs> uh, I just think that uh, this is fantastic, and I like this this perspective. I'm not 100% white, but... Oh, do go on. Now it's time for all people, white people, I mean, all people to just look inwardly at themselves and their place in this society that we've got going on and look for injustices and ways that we can improve. Uh, but this movie looks like it does it in the most trippy, fantastic way that I've seen. Love it, and I'm looking forward mm-hmm. to this so much. We have got another little indie film. It's called. Did any? Did you guys watch the eighth grade trailer? Yeah, I did, Jason. I really did, and, and I and I um, I've got uh, some thoughts on it. Do you? Well, why don't you give me those thoughts, Mustachio? I'm going to do it in my white voice. Were you once an eighth grader who was going through troubles getting your period? Um, my my period never occurred, but... There's still time. <laughs> you can still become a woman, Mustachio. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't even know what to say to that. That trailer for eighth grader, it looks precious. It looks like um, what Bo Burnham directed it. And it looks like people are already so grateful for such an honest perspective of a young girl in eighth grade who is quiet and, you know, uh, wants the world to see her the way that she wants to be seen. And it seems like there's just a lot to touch on there, a real life perspective and and pain, because when it's coming from a young person's perspective, there's there's going to be an intensified, you know, drama to it, you know, something that has more weight to it than actually would be seen by the adulting world it looks a little painful but that's what we want that's going to be a good movie this film looks very very honest and i know that the 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 main actress in it elsie fisher she actually filmed this between her eighth and ninth grade school years so i don't know how much more honest it can be she's the the age of the character in the the movie and none of these like 22 year olds playing middle school kids Mm -hmm. like she's a middle school kid playing a middle school kid i read somewhere that they called this like the first truly millennial movie but it's not a millennial movie she's too young to be a millennial actually she's she's actually gen what do they call gen z yeah yeah she's actually gen z when i was watching the trailer it's definitely a gen z movie like a girl who feels kind of uh, alone, different, going through changes, yet she's very involved in like social media, dealing with that kind of loneliness through being overtly visible. Listening to the way that she spoke and listening to how she lived her life, it did feel very much an honest film for a generation that is right now growing up. Yeah. Plus, Thank you, Elsie Fisher, for liking our tweet. <laughs> Everyone, follow Elsie Fisher. She's somebody to watch. Do you have any thoughts on this one, Lady Juan? You were uh, an eighth grade girl once. I was, yeah, um, for like a whole year. <laughs> um, um, I when I saw this trailer, I was really excited about it because uh, it it does look totally different 
than, you know, what you'll typically see, which are like these Disney kids. Um, you know, it it looks real and raw and I'm very interested to see it. And just watching the trailer, I started to get all emotional and was like flashing back. But I really am interested to see when I watch this movie, how much of it I will relate to and how much of it I will be like, oh, God, that looks so much worse than what I had to deal with. Because thankfully, I didn't have social media in eighth mm-hmm. grade. Right. So I really am interested to see, like, I don't have kids and none of my friends' kids are old enough yet to kind of know that that side of things. So they're all cute little kids playing in bounce houses. Um, so, so far, I can still understand their childhoods. <laughs> Um, I'm, I'm definitely interested to see what I can relate to and, and what I can't. So, um, I'm excited for this. I can't wait. And that's a testament to this movie is, is mm-hmm. that you want to see how much of this you relate to. Cause it seems so grounded in the actual experience yeah. of someone in eighth grade today. Can it have a cross generational, mm-hmm. you know, acceptance? Uh, like we're, what are we Xenials guys? I mean, Oh, I'm a full-on millennial. millennial. Friend, I'm a yeah. Gen Xer. You're a Gen Xer. All right. Good. No, the Xenials are like, aren't they the the like college kids now? Well, 77 to <laughs> 83 is Xenial. No, wait. You're right, Mustachio. They just came out with a little. They just came out with like a subgen, and yeah, it was sub-gen. it was Xenials. Yep. And I'm I yes, you're right. I'm 100% a Xenial. Oh, why did they call it that? Because there's millennials and then there's Gen Z. And the fact that Zennials are not either of those is confusing. Well, yeah, they'll call, have to call because them like Because X is being, yeah. being pronounced Z. Yeah. X is being pronounced yeah. like a Z. Millennials get confused so easily. <laughs> oh, you old guys. Uh, we, <laughs> the times before computers. <laughs> oh, yep, yep, Zennials, yep. wow. All right, so anyways, that's true. I am a Zennial. I am a proud Zennial. Uh, so anyway, yeah, you don't go. act your age. It's okay. Here we go. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. So uh, here we go. Our Tarantino file. This one's for you. Oh, gosh. <laughs> we had our guest. We actually talked about this when we had our guest host, the biologist, Lady Nay. Uh, we talked about the fact that Brad Pitt and Leo were going to be in this uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood film. And she actually posed, I wonder what female they're going to get to be in that hot trio, quote unquote. And I actually said, well, they're going to have to get somebody to play Sharon Tate. And here it is. A week later, we got the Sharon Tate casting. Margot Robbie is in talks to play Sharon Tate in Tarantino's 60s movie. Do we like the Margot Robbie casting? And I'm going to go ahead with you first, our Tarantino file, our Criterion maniac, our Hollywood (laughs) suckling baby. It's... (laughs) Mustachio, go. Okay, so obviously Tarantino's casting director has been listening to our show and knows that we put a lot of hype about who's going to be Sharon Tate. Now it's out. Right. So Margot Robbie. Yes, yes. You know, coming off of uh, I, Tanya, I mean, she brings it. Oh, my God. She can live in a role. Um, yeah, that's uh, Oscar nominee Margot Robbie. Yeah. And sh- this is also a reteaming of her and Leo from Wolf of Wall Street. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. There you go. Uh, yes. So from what little I know about the Manson murders I, and, and and what I kind of come at it with a, as a Tarantino file, knowing that just because it takes place during this thing doesn't mean it's about this thing. He's He's got, you know, war movies that just take place during war. He's got, 
you know, movies that are kind of gangster-esque that have a different, you know, kind of like theme entirely. He can take you and spin you around. So they've actually released the, what is it, August 9th, 2019 release date as the 50-year death anniversary which is creepy that's actually a little bit yeah, gross yeah and, and it's also slightly gross considering that uh, Sharon Tate's mother has basically been an activist against criminals who commit violent crimes being uh, released from prison including uh, those people who were involved in her daughter's murder Tarantino did have those really gross comments about Polanski who was Sharon Tate's husband Ugh, yeah yeah. Uh, can you uh, rehash those, Lady yeah. One? Those vile comments? Go ahead. Yeah. So um, it, this was, I think it was actually in 2003 when he um, he was talking, Quinn Tarantino was talking to Howard Stern and the topic of Roman Polanski came up and Quentin Tarantino basically said that Ugh. wasn't rape. She was into it. And she being the victim who was a 13-year-old girl who was drugged and then raped. And um, that's why Roman Polanski mm-hmm. doesn't live in the United States anymore. Um, Quentin Tarantino has since apologized and basically said, like, I didn't realize fully what happened. And I was just trying to be provocative on Howard Stern. And, like, the girl has said, you know, it, don't be mad on my behalf. I realize what he said was stupid. Like, I'm not it's it's not uh, she, it's not worth talking about anymore is basically what she was saying. She didn't want to just keep being yeah. the victim in this this story. But Quintero Tarantino did apologize. Um, you know, he he has come out not in not against Roman Polanski. He still seems to be one of those like, oh, I like what he does. Um, I'm just going to not think about this yeah. horrible thing that he did. So, so is our next that. bit of Cassie news who's going to play Roman Polanski or is or is he going to avoid well, the Polanski character in this film? Yeah. Because Polanski was not around when Tate was murdered because first of all, she married Polanski because uh, they were both he, he was her director and her co-star in a 1976 film called The Fearless Vampire Killers, but they got married and of course, she was eight and a half months pregnant with their son. And Polanski was actually supposed to come home, but he postponed coming home. He was over somewhere else filming or whatnot. Sharon Tate is quoted as saying about Polanski, quote, We have a good arrangement. Roman lies to me and I pretend to believe him, end quote. This Oof. guy's not a good guy. Oof. And maybe a la Hitler in Inglorious <laughs> Bastards. Bastards Maybe he can do a little revisionist history yeah. here. I wouldn't be surprised if and he does. And give uh, Polanski his just desserts and not side with him the, the way he apparently did in O in O three. Yeah. That's Make a, that's good, good Tarantino. Make Polanski's dick get cut off. <laughs> that's like bring it back to Margot Robbie. Okay. Uh, uh, yeah, I think she's perfectly cast for this. She's She's beautiful, obviously. Sharon Tate was beautiful. And Margot Robbie can, like, channel that 60s vibe. Like, she, she's done some red carpet looks with it. Uh, I think I think this is good casting, I think. Great. I mean, it's choice. it's better casting than probably any of the other Sharon Tate things that we've had uh, recently. I know just last year, American Horror Story Cult had someone playing Sharon Tate but also uh, there's a Screen Gems bioptic called Tate that's coming out where Kate Bosworth is playing Sharon Tate and then there's 
Hillary Duff. Hillary. And, and then and I Hillary was actually Duff? just about to get In to the that haunting one. Of, uh, <laughs> there, yeah, the haunting of Sharon Tate is apparently going to star Hillary Duff. So uh, it just goes up from there. And I think Margot Robbie is a huge upgrade over uh, anything that we have so far with Sharon, Sharon Tate. Hopefully her memory is honored by not having Polanski portrayed as some kind of good guy. He, he, he needs to be the sleaze that he is. So we just need to make a recurring segment because they're apparently they're <laughs> remaking a 90s film that does not need to be remade every week. There's news. <laughs> so apparently much. the Grudge remake, you know, which was greenlit actually a while ago, but they're now casting this movie, The Grudge. And, you know, it's an underwhelming cast list, first of all. But, I mean, the biggest star, I think, is what uh, John Cho is probably the biggest <laughs> The biggest one? I couldn't even find right. his name in the article I was reading, so uh, I don't know. Can you I name the, the, the two? The, the kind of the, the ones that they've casted so far? No, like I don't. Their names seemed hard to pronounce, and I didn't know them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, try and say these names, because I don't, I don't know yeah. them to just pronounce it right based off reading it. Sure. I would need to hear it. So the latest edition is John Cho, who, of course, is probably mostly known as a comedic actor, uh, Harold and Kumar, um, American Sulu. Pie. Sulu. He played Sulu in uh, Star Trek. He's starring alongside Andrea Riseborough and uh, Damien Bashir in a remake of The Grudge. Now, what I really want to talk about with The Grudge, well, actually, the only thing The Grudge really has going for it right now is the fact that sam raimi is one Mm -hmm. of the producers on it yeah but Mm -hmm. what i really want to talk about is was the grudge just a product of when it came out because because hear me out so totally the grudge came out on the heels of uh the ring uh right i mean the grudge is a remake of uh a movie called juan which itself was the third film in a, a series but uh, but it was a Japanese film called Juan. But this came out after The Ring had came out in 2002. And remember, The Ring was very successful. And The Ring kind of paved the way for these for this slew of other Japanese horror film American remakes. And one of those was The Grudge with Sarah Michelle Gellar. Another one was Dark Water with Jennifer Connelly. And there was a whole slew of others that just kind of piggybacked off of the success that The Ring had. Can this new grudge be successful without The Ring and without a star like Sarah Michelle Gellar? Because Sarah Michelle Gellar, this was a year after Buffy ended when she did The Grudge. So, And The Grudge was also successful. It was a successful film. But was it a product of its time or can The Grudge remake survive now? Uh, I'm gonna I'm 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 gonna send this to you one first, Lady One. I mean, full disclosure, I haven't seen it because I'm easily frightened. Just the trailer freaked me out. So I understand it to be well made and people enjoyed it, but I definitely think it was one of those that got the attention and the box office that it did just based purely on the time. It was just like cool to have yeah. Japanese horror movies for a while. Um so I think I think it was that, but I, I just don't understand why it's been 12, 12, 14 years. That's okay. Is it already time? <laughs> yeah. Are we already there yet? Like, why don't you go look and see if there's another Japanese horror movie that wasn't made in 
for American cinema and do that one. Do an original story that you haven't already yeah. remade. There's got to be another one. Like, that seems like a better idea to me. Uh, Mustachio? Yeah, I, <laughs> I don't, I don't really don't know what to think about this because I also was watching these movies during those times, and I happened to even, oh, I even saw like this terrible derivation after the Ring and after the Grudge called Fear dot com, where I actually walked out of that movie like as a young person. You know, typically I didn't do that because you know I couldn't just throw away my allowance like that okay no 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 this was when i was working at fazoli's so yeah so it's you o- worked at fazoli's yep yep so this is o2 okay all right this, can you so explain is... to the audience what fazoli's okay, is uh, audience. if they've never been to a fazoli's okay audience around the world fazoli's italian uh, restaurant was a fast food chain that basically <laughs> they would serve uh bottomless hot breadsticks to anyone that wanted to sit inside the restaurant <laughs> So anyone who would suffer inside <laughs> yes. the restaurant. But if you wanted it fast food, if you wanted a baked ziti or a, you know, a spaghetti rigatoni or whatever. One of your Fazoli's favorites, Baked Spaghetti 399 is back for a limited time only. Enjoy spaghetti with meat or marinara sauce, topped with a special blend of ooey gooey cheese. You were going to get a fast food version of it really quick, put in like a little aluminum pan and shoved out the window. And I was there, I worked there the, during my high school experience. And I, um, so that was the money that I was using it during was, that time. It, it was like a whole franchise built around the breadsticks. Oh, yeah. Like whether or not you wanted unlimited oh, yeah. breadsticks or just a couple breadsticks. Oh, yeah. Because oh, it saw what was working with Olive Garden and they were like, fast food version, let's do it. People want breadsticks. They want these breadsticks. Let's keep. Let's paying. do that. Yeah. Let's throw breadsticks out them. Yeah, well, them they're they're, go- they're gone now. Uh, world, it's a it's a far better place without them. But anyway, that was my job. I worked as a cook in the back, making cook. like gallon sized containers of meat sauce and <laughs> cleaning dishes and for days. Uh, but anyway, okay. so around this time, that I was sad. you know. I was watching these terrible movies and actually having to pay for my movie ticket. Um, And yeah, so I walked out of fear.com, which was based around if the ring was like you, you saw like the film on the VHS tape that you plugged in. Then this was, if you visited the website seven days after you visited the website, you were going to die. Wow. There were so many ripoffs. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's pretty bad. Do you think The Grudge can survive a film no. like The Grudge, a remake of a Japanese horror, can survive now? No, no, no. I mean, this is not a smart decision um, on Sulu's behalf because it's not going to be as easy to entertain and and wow us and show us something that we didn't already see before in this reboot. Right. Yeah. Okay. It's time to do something that I'm. Unafraid to say that I'm a Marvel fanboy, I rewatched Civil War after I saw the trailer of this film. I'm anticipating it. I mm-hmm. bought my tickets. Did you buy your? Did did the rest of the Screen Fix team buy their tickets? I bought mine first. Oh, um, okay. You buy yours first. <laughs> Mustachio, do you have your tickets yet? Oh no, I'm I'm still trying to you know find a scalper. That is ridiculous. I am <laughs> in the front. IMAX 3D premiere nights. I will be wearing my Avengers shirt. I will be there. (laughs) 
Did you ever notice that when you go to these, like every time a new character shows up on the screen, everybody goes, Whoa! and they cheer. I love it. Huh. That's why I go on premiere night. I want to feel the geek. I want to feel uncomfortably geeky. Uh, I, I, no, not me. I don't want to go there on uh, opening night. Uh, it's going to be chaos. I, I would rather try to see it with as few people as possible. And that way I get to nerd out in my own way and nobody can really see my bouncing up and down in my seat. You know, uh, I don't know. I guess I'm a little bit more repressed uh, than you are, JC. So I admire you for that. Not me. I want to, I want to, lightly pee myself with <laughs> with at least 50 people around you me. want the smell of urine to be communal you, you, yes I say it. Yeah. because we're all gonna slightly tt when we see all these characters <laughs> together when the guardians join with the avengers there will not be an underwear in the house without at least one or two pieces bits of spotting no it's, dry it's, cotton in the house it's, it's gonna be amazing uh, Lady One just looks disgusted. So, uh, <laughs> TT topic. The TT. Anyway, we're going to break down without any TT. Well, maybe Avengers a little. trailer. The Avengers trailer. We're going to break it down right now for you. This is, this is going to be great. So here we go. Word document. I mean, all committed to memory. Here we go. Action. So, so the trailer begins with New York City is kind of spinning. We get that spinning shot, and that is, uh, I guess that's supposed to be our our indication that the world is being turned upside down, right? Right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Gamora starts speaking, of course, and she's, of course, Gamora is Thanos' daughter, somebody that we know very well from the Guardians films. Then we get a shot of Black Widow, Banner, and War Machine looking up into the sky, but I don't think that that's at that crescent, this crescent ship that's coming down on New York City. I think that's actually when they're in Wakanda later in the movie. Um, our next shot is a reflection from the window uh, in the on the Sanctum Santorum. It's an image of the crescent ship flying in, flying down to New York City. Then we've got Thanos' hand putting in the blue Infinity Stone, which I believe he will be getting uh, when he crushes the Tesseract that Loki stole at the end of Ragnarok. Mm -hmm. um, I believe that that's the first thing he gets when the movie begins. Yoink! Because, of course, we know that, that, that Thor Ragnarok ends with Thanos' ship intercepting all of the survivors of Asgard. And I believe that Loki is going to give Thanos the Tesseract, which contains the blue stone. That might even be why Thor gets away, but we'll get to that later. So Gamora kind of finishes her monologue saying that he can destroy half of all life with a snap of his fingers. And he she snaps just like Thanos does in the comics when he does, in fact, kill half of all life. Mm -hmm. Of course, in the comic, he does it to impress, impress Mistress death. death. Right, Mistress Death. But uh, in this one, apparently, he has some universe balancing to do, but we'll get to that too. Uh, next, we've got Tony Stark saying to tell me his name again. But of course, that's a different part of the movie. That's not him speaking to Gamora. They're, they're two completely different backgrounds. Uh, it looks like he's probably in the Sanctum Sanctorum. Also, that would be really rude to just be like, well, what did you say his name was? Like, how how little yeah. are you paying attention? If you listen up, fool. Like, what the heck? God. What planet are you men, from? <laughs> men can't listen. They have selective hearing. 
Um, so anyway, <laughs> um, but I think she's probably talking to Thor is what I think. I think she's probably telling this to Thor uh, when they first meet him. Because, of course, uh, in the first trailer, of course, we have Thor in the Milano saying in a very gravelly voice, who are you guys? And that's... Uh, <laughs> wow, that was like a really good Rocky. We're going to go a couple rounds with Thanos. You're going to keep lightning and you're going to crap thunder. And uh, I think she's probably talking to Thor. And then we've got Spider-Man hanging off the side of the bus. I think he's going to be the first responder to the big giant crescent ship. Yep. And then we've got Tony giving his monologue over the next couple scenes, saying that we have an advantage. He's coming to us. And he says that as he's flying up to that crescent ship, which is looks like it's flying away from Earth, and which I assume has Spider-Man on it in trouble. So I assume he's blasting up there essentially to save Spider-Man and figure out what the heck's going on. Then we get a quick flash to Doctor Strange's Eye of Agamotto, and this is, of course, in regards to Tony saying, we have an advantage, he's coming to us, we have something he wants, actually, he says. And there's a cut to Doctor Strange's Eye of Agamotto, which is going to be one of the stones. Then Vision's head, which we know is another stone. Uh, And I think they're going to be bringing Vision to Wakanda to defend him there. Uh, Then we get a shot of Wakanda and Black Widow, Captain America, Banner, War Machine, Vision, Scarlet Witch, and Falcon are all there being greeted by T'Challa. Yeah, Wakanda. And And then there's a shot of Shuri, of course, that's T'Challa's little sister, the super brainy one. Uh, She's showing a holographic image of Vision's head to Banner. And I believe she'll have to fix yet another broken white boy, Paul Bettany. Uh, but I think she'll be able to. St- I think uh-huh. she's going to be able to separate the stone from his head and keep him alive. There is a scene where uh, one of the Black Order, which we'll get to later, is putting uh, a a weapon down to the head and making him scream. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that that's. I don't think they get him there. I think that Shuri is is going to separate him from the stone. This I don't know. But then there's a shot of the Guardians arriving on what looks like nowhere. And we know that they visit the collector from leaked footage from mm-hmm. uh, D twenty three or, well, you know the uh, the big Disney event that they that they have, and there are some leaked scenes from that. And one of them is a scene on Nowhere, in the collector's room. So I think that's them showing up on Nowhere. Then we get that great exchange that everyone's talking about. The exchange where Star Lord says to Iron Man, <laughs> uh, "You got a you got a good plan, but." It sucks, and so why don't you let me take care of it, and it won't suck. Essentially. Paraphrased. You have paraphrased it beautifully. And during that, Spider-Man is kind of uh, looking on in all of his fanboy glory. Not really fanboy, because he only knows, he doesn't know the Guardians, but uh, looking on with uh, kind of a sense of humor uh, about how crazy this is. And then, of course, Iron Man finishes that exchange with, wow, sarcasm meets sarcasm. But in goofball form. Sarcasm explosion. Yeah. So uh, then we've got Wakanda gearing up for war, and there are shots of uh, these kind of large land speeder things. And then we see the Hulkbuster, and we see Black Widow and Winter Soldier. Uh, Then there's a shot of the Hulkbuster armor, uh, and it's rumored that Banner will don the Hulkbuster armor. Uh, Remember in Thor Ragnarok, he was afraid that if he transformed into Hulk again, he would never be able to to return to Banner. And, of course, he does Hulk out at the end of Thor Ragnarok. But, of course, in these previews, 
you know, in the first preview, there was scenes of him crash back to Earth through the Sanctum Sanctorum. So he has returned to Banner, and I believe he's afraid to turn back to Hulk. So I think he's going to don the Hulkbuster armor, the exact armor that has been designed to restrain the Hulk. Mm -hmm. So I think he's going to don that armor. Then we get Thor, and Thor is at the Dwarven Forge. Uh, and he's forging his new weapon because remember he needs right now he's shooting lightning out of his arms and out of his he's shooting lightning everywhere and needs to channel that lightning energy and he doesn't have his hammer anymore so now he's going to forge an axe he's forging this axe that is called yarnborn and he's forging that axe in this dwarven forge while rocket and groot look on yes led zeppelin better be playing during that (laughs) which one <laughs> yeah. So well, that already uh, happened in Ragnarok. Now the handle of the Dwarven Forge is going to be wood donated from Groot. It's going to be Groot wood. There we go. That has been confirmed by toys. Groot. Uh, then we got a shot of the Crescent ship crashing, and this could be on Titan because we do know that they go to Titan at some point. And Titan is Thanos's home planet. Then we get Thanos saying half of humanity will exist. Uh, as he's holding what appears to be baby Gamora's hand, and maybe this is after he kills all of Gamora's people except for her and adopts her as his daughter. Steals then her. Then we've got, yeah, basically. And then we've got him squeezing Thor's little gray head, which maybe makes Loki bargain. We're not sure. Then we see a shot of Loki with the children of Thanos, his minions, the Black Order. And the Black Order are Cole Obsidian, Proxima Midnight, Ebony Ma, Corvus Glaive, and super giant super giant then we get a shot of the winter soldier who has been cured by shuri white wolf is what they are calling him then we've got black panther suiting up then we've got the outriders they're hitting the inver the invisible barricade that protects wakanda then we've got dr strange helping star lord jump his way through titan He's creating little platforms that Star-Lord can uh, stand on. Then we've got Thanos saying, as all things should be, which is balanced, because his plot line is he he wants to bring balance to the universe. By destroying half of then it. By destroying half of it. Then we got Scarlet Witch looking concerned, and why wouldn't she? Her boyfriend's getting a gem ripped out of his head. Then we've got Doctor Strange getting some extreme acupuncture uh, at the hand of Ebony Maw. And uh, uh, Ebony Maw is like the uh, Doctor Strange version of himself. Yeah, but he's got he, mind powers. And then we got the Hulkbuster armor, which is getting overwhelmed. And I think here in the theater with all my nerds, the Hulkbuster armor is going to get overwhelmed, <laughs> and then Hulk himself is going to come busting out of the Hulk armor, and everyone in the theater is going to go, Yay! I knew I should have painted myself green. I knew I should have wore two underpants. Thanos says, I hope they remember you, and I'm not sure who he's talking to, uh, but they do cut to Iron Man looking beat up, and then Thanos leaps in the air, and then we've got Captain America holding up Thanos's glove with all of his power. He can do this all day. Captain America, we love him. And then bam, 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 <laughs> we get the Avengers. And then there's a little after the, the title scene where Spider-Man is introducing himself to Doctor Strange. And Spider-Man says, I'm Peter Parker. Doctor Strange says, I'm Doctor Strange. Spider-Man goes, oh, we're using our made-up names. Well, I'm Spider-Man. And then it ends. Very nice. Initial thoughts from seeing this second trailer for Avengers 
Go ahead, Lady Wan. Well, obviously, I'm extremely excited. I bought my tickets <laughs> before I even finished watching the trailer because I got scared Amazing. that I wouldn't get them in time. Um, so <laughs> I was committed to that 7 o'clock IMAX. I did not want to wait until 1030 again, like was what happened. That's that's mine. Like so, when you do the 10 o'clock, you're like, man, a whole bunch of people already saw this. <laughs> like you feel like talking you're talking about it too. You feel like yeah. you're not on that like first oh, wave. Scary. Yeah. And you don't want to. The last place I want to go is the yeah. movie theater where they're going to be getting out oh, of yeah. seeing this crazy movie. And I'm going in. They're all they're, they're all passing by. I was like, oh, my God. I can't believe Hawkeye died like that. You'd be Not like, as oh good as I thought it was going to be. Oh. You're yeah. like, I will kill you. <laughs> shut up, shut up. So I'm, I'm always afraid of that. So bought my ticket super fast. Um, but, yeah, this is – it's very exciting. And, and I kind of want to go back and watch all the other trailers for the other movies that I know now really well and see just how misleading yeah. those trailers were because it, it really puts you yeah. in the space to expect one thing. And then when they give you something else, it's yeah. – I mean – You know, it's, it's interesting how that affects your reaction. I know in a few of the previous Marvel trailers, they have edited people out – that ended up being in scenes right. so and also a lot of the cutting is people seemingly having uh conversations but they're not those scenes are yeah, not together not. so yeah or re reacting to no, something and that's, and it's that's not, not the same thing so same uh, so people have been wondering yeah. well, if anybody is being edited out of that scene where they're all running in wakanda in slow-mo they're wondering if anybody's been, uh, you know, edited mm -hmm. out of that. They're also wondering if some of the Infinity Stones have been edited out of Thanos's glove when he's shoving down oh, on, yeah. on, yeah. on Captain America, uh, on, on Cap. Cap. Well, yeah, my my jaw literally dropped when they showed Captain America touching the Infinity Gauntlet. Like I was sitting on the floor with well, my computer and uh, I was like, "What?" Steve Rogers like, is I about was to get pummeled. Reacting yeah. from head to toe. Right? Yeah, I think I don't think it's gonna go well for him. About How about that. you, uh, Mustachio? Can give me your your trailer reaction. Okay, um, my chair turned into a rocking chair while I was watching this trailer. It wasn't supposed to move that way, but it was moving. And, <laughs> you yeah. broke your chair. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, it just kept moving and moving. Anyway, I yes, I I laughed. I I was just you know hardcore smiles. If you would have got like a mustachio. Uh, video cam uh, audience reaction it would have we been have had that. you know che cheese cheese city just <laughs> uh, yes i am what <laughs> you would have become grover <laughs> yeah <laughs> this movie grovered you that's a good thing yes yes it did i mean oh there's going to be so much that happens in this there's going to be so much um how about some of the people that are missing hawkeye is not in this trailer Eh. What what do you what, mm -hmm. yet yet he was in some of the earlier materials with that new crazy haircut where it's shaved on this on 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 the sides and like spiked in the front. He uh, yeah, he's got the Tim Tebow. Yes, haircut. he's got the the Tim Tebow. You know, and the thing is, like you know, I figured that cut was just because like you know now he's been living at home for a while and his wife is trying is making more decisions on his style, trying to make him like a little more fashionable. You know, like before they go out, he's getting Taking the, the dad out of him. Are you wearing that? Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. you know, he's yeah. home. Now. Like, oh, yeah. that doesn't match yeah. at all. Yeah. So okay. he's going to start wearing nicer shirts and, and stuff and like getting his hair cut. 
but Hawkeye, do you, do you know why he's missing from the trailer, or do you see well, yeah. uh, any yeah. anywhere where he's going to fit in, Mustachio? Yeah, because yeah, Hawkeye is watching Queer Eye right now. He's he's learning how to redress. He's learning how to get back out there. He's been taking some time off. He's been Netflixing. So yes, yeah. When he comes back out, he's gonna bring it new quiver, new bow, whatever. But it's gonna be like a whole new suit for him. Full disclosure: I watched all of season one of Queer Eye on Netflix. It's oh, so good. So right? good. Isn't it so uplifting? Did you guys cry? Of course. Okay, and here's the part of the show that we like to do we wait for we hope you wait for this is where we fix a film and today we are fixing wrinkle in time wrinkle in time is directed by ava duvernay based on a book by madeline engel uh it came out in 1962 this was a big film for Disney. It reportedly had a had a budget of over a hundred million. Still, it couldn't take down Black Panther. Wakanda forever. And estimates were for around a thirty-three million domestic opening. Not able to dethrone the king. Both of these were seen as kind of uh, socially important films. This movie starred a young black female named storm reed and she was fantastic in this movie do you all agree that storm reed was one of the best parts of this she was good oh for sure she was amazing let's go ahead and let's jump right into this film it needs plenty of fixing do do you all agree that this film didn't quite achieve what it set out to do is that safe to say very very safe to say yeah do you have a plot for us in under three minutes? Mustachio. All right, time me. The movie starts out with a little girl being given a paper folding toy by her parents. They tell her that this represents their love for her and that it becomes unfolded but not gone. The dad, Mr. Murray, played by Chris Pine, is a scientist. He's studying how interplanetary space travel can be done by wrinkling space time. He's in an interracial marriage and they are looking to adopt a young boy named Charles Wallace. His research takes him further away from his family. It's on a dark and stormy night. Sometime later, we find out it's been four years since his disappearance. So his daughter, played by Storm Reed, she's Meg, is she's now distracted and she's a distant student uh, who gets picked on by the mean girls at school in her grade. She's unpopular and she's not doing well in school. Charles Wallace is her optimistic little brother who sticks up for her and... When there's a very contrived conversation that happens between two teachers on the recess yard, mm-hmm. you know, this was supposed to be like a tipping point scene in which we understand like her frustrations to be bottling up and she pops and pitches this basketball into the face of a provoking mean girl. But it, what it turns out is these, these teachers are just actually trying to describe character development in such a way that was just poorly used. Anyway, she goes to the principal. But the mean girl per- provokes the her. The mean how? girl provokes her by, by, you know, telling her that she should have vanished just like her dad on the anniversary of that date. So it's just like, ugh, can't, can't you just have used this some other way? So she goes to the principal, Mr. Jensen, who has a very inappropriate conversation with her regarding how she should be over these <laughs> feelings of her father by now. She goes on, her mother's frustrated at home. Now Reese Witherspoon, wrapped in bed sheets, is led into the house by little <laughs> Charles Wallace, and we learn that her name is Mrs. What's It. She tells the mother that her and her husband's research was groundbreaking, extraordinary. 
And then she runs out of the house like a lunatic. So the girls now reprimand Charles Wallace for letting in a loony into the house. While the sister and little brother are walking in the neighborhood, a boy from her school, Calvin O'Keefe, pops up and out of nowhere, and he doesn't even know why. So Charles Wallace tells him it must be because, oh, they must think that you're, you would be good, a diplomat on our journey, whatever that means. You know, little child genius, we don't know what you mean. The Charles Wallace runs into this creepy house. It's run down. Meg doesn't want him to go in. Now, once inside, the characters meet Mrs. Who, played by M- Mindy Kaling, who then speaks in quotes from literature and pop culture, you know, i.e. Shakespeare, Rumi, Outcast, to relay her message to these kids. As the kids are now in the backyard, the three M's, the three Mrs.'s, show up rounded out by a monolithic glamorous Oprah. They find out that their dad has uh, been traveling through time and space, but he can't get back. And they're at their destination. Oh, three minutes. Oh, okay. So now they're finding out from these higher intelligent beings, um, the missuses, that they can go travel using love wavelength in order to tesser what's called. Tesser is just means it's interdimensional time travel. Uh, made possible by love. The protagonist, she at this point, she's such a distrusting and reluctant character that, you know, she barely, she needs like a godlike Oprah to tell her, you know, come on, girl. Meg's character is the only one who's in pain after they test her. She doesn't test her well because she doesn't believe. All right, so they find out that this utopian planet is called Uriel, and it's it's being encroached upon by a dark energy called the Kamazots or the black thing or whatever it is in the sky. Uh, Mrs. Whatsit spins her dress and reveals that she has, she can turn into a gigantic flying snake with a leafy tail. Was that a snake? Because that just looked like like a giant lettuce oh, yeah. wrap with True. an artichoke yeah, head. A lettuce wrap, spinach, snake, sandwich. When the, the lettuce dragon that she turns into like wrapped them up and started to dive towards the earth, uh, my girlfriend turned to me and went, lettuce wraps. Mm-hmm. And it was... It was very funny because it's literally lettuce wraps. Yeah. I was saying, let us go. I was actually wanting to leave the theater <laughs> then. All right. So they need to know where their father is at. So they, they test her to go speak to a happy medium played by the incomparable Zach Galifianakis. He meets them in this shaky underground cave that requires everyone to trust their feelings in order to direct their thoughts on how to find the father. The happy medium works uh, with Meg on her confidence and trust to help her become more receptive to hope and and trust. And, and so they see that this dark energy makes its way to Earth and develops jealousy, distrust, dishonesty in the lives of mankind. Now they learn that Chris Pine's father character is within the black thing. And the missus recommend developing a plan and heading back to Earth. But during the tesser, Meg's temper tantrum energy tells them uh, we should push on, and it directs them to the planet of Chemizots. And now the missus's energy is all gone, and they can't help in this strange place. They are disappearing, and they're told uh, in this place, remain suspicious and skeptical of what you see and hear. So I say, all right, Meg, lead the way. Now we get into a 1950s uh, American-style suburban neighborhood, it has creepy children bouncing in balls in unison. Uh, the slamming rhythm bothers Charles Wallace, but these like Stepford Wilde-style moms that come out of the driveway seem to have Calvin in like a trance, especially when he's offered cake. There's a feel here with like an issue of like <laughs> conformity. Uh, Meg tells the cake lady to fuck off, and they go in the other direction. 
So first test passed. Now the kids find themselves in a crowded beach where Michael Pena's character, Central Intelligence, lures Charles Wallace's character into being taken over by it. He's been taken over by this dark energy, and so he blasts both uh, Meg and Calvin with this cutting criticism aimed directly to make them, you know, give up and feel terrible. She's transported into now a large room hallway where she rescues her father. He learns how he got there and now he's also learning how she got there and that Charles Wallace is under its power. He suggests that they leave without Charles Wallace and now Meg forces them not to leave without him because like she's directing her love towards her little brother in an attempt to purge him of this dark energy. We're going to get a lot of scenes of him you know you know kind of scolding her and, and kind of having this hateful energy towards her but she's going to give love anyway. It works and the missus is proceed to tell her that you know she will be remembered in this pantheon of remarkable humans like Gandhi and Albert Einstein and Alan Turing and Maya Angelou they test her home and the kids reunite and the parents are reunited once more and that's the end nice <laughs> all right so that is the plot mustachio has broken it down now we need to fix it but before we just jump right into fixing it we don't fix them because we hate films we fix them because we love films what do we like about this film go ahead lady one so storm reed is wonderful she's the reason to keep watching this movie also just full disclosure even with like crazy hair and gray beard chris pine is dreamy so i was enjoying that yeah but he looks like gary from from team america yeah i that was a bit distracting once that was pointed out to me on Twitter. <laughs> but no, he's he's great. And between the two of them, their performances were wonderful. I enjoyed Zach Galifianakis. His part was exactly what I was expecting. And um, once I could figure out that the mom was the annoying lady from Cloverfield <laughs> Paradox, I like settled into it and was like, that's why I'm irritated by her. Mm. So... Um, th- that movie tainted this one for me because I was upset about just her again. But no, th- there were definitely some good performances. I wasn't really wowed by the graphics as, or the, you know, the CGI and, and all the visuals as much as I thought I was going to be. And I think that's because I've seen so much marketing for this. But if I could hold on to how impressed I was the first time I saw the trailer, then that then that's pretty positive for them. But mostly for me, it was just Storm Reid and Chris Pine. They were they were great. Yeah, there you go, Mustachio. What's what's something that you that you really enjoyed about this movie? Uh, yeah, I like the idea, like what how it's coming at it. There's a female director who's making a over a hundred million dollar sci-fi epic, adapted from a uh-huh. female author's like prized work. That's, and uh, yeah. apparently, she's she's the first black female director to be given the the budget that she got, first ever. Yeah, I saw a great quote from her. I think it was in the Time article where she said she keeps getting the question all the time, which was, how did you make a movie with a $100 million budget? And her response was, the same as he did. Ooh, nice. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love Bam. it. All right, so other other likes that I had, uh, th- there was like powerful like female figures, and they, they kind of removed the whitewash mm-hmm. of this like original work, you know, like you know how it could be made. And so they're incorporating like yeah. black actresses. There's an Indian American female, and there's like with the black female director. I felt like they came at this with like 
such great momentum for it to have its own world of life. And so I'll, I'll get further into my dislikes, but, you know, with the attempts and the idea of what's at hand, the imagery and like the stellar performances, yes, I did like quite a few things. Yeah, for me, it's simply the performance of Storm Reed. Also, I think Oprah Winfrey gives probably the best monologue, the best speech in the entire film. We are in search of warriors. So I think Oprah actually did a fantastic job as well. I mean, she's a great actress and and has been since Mm -hmm. they started putting her in movies in the 80s. I even liked Mindy Kaling. This was a case of fantastic performers involved in kind of... uh, an underwhelmingly executed project, but I thought that every actor that showed up on this mm-hmm. set right. brought it, and everyone's acting in this. Everyone was fully committed. So let's go ahead and let's jump into our fixes. I know that you have one, Lady Juan. I do. Lay it on us. I said that in a weird, creepy, breathy way that Calvin would have, and I'm sorry. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's okay. So my first fix is relatively small, but it comes early in the movie. And Meg wakes up on the dark and stormy night and comes downstairs to see her brother. And they talk in the kitchen. He's made her milk. And, you know, they they have a conversation that shows the closeness of their relationship. But then, conveniently, on the radio... We hear an announcement about how tomorrow is the four-year anniversary of the disappearance of this NASA scientist. And that's some really, really lazy storytelling for a $100 million sci-fi epic. I was expecting more. And that's so soon in the movie to use such a lazy plot device. It bummed me out pretty quick. My fix for it specifically would be, instead of a convenient radio announcement that just happens to be about their dad that they have a conversation that further builds that relationship that we're starting to see between Meg and Charles Wallace. And that he says, I know that it's tomorrow. It's the four-year anniversary. I knew you wouldn't be able to sleep. I knew you were going to be worried. I'm here for you. I've made you milk. You know, instead, when the scene starts, we're kind of there seeing that she's woken up because because it's a stormy night, when really it's an emotional issue that she's dealing with. It's not just thunder and lightning. And I would have preferred to see the explanation of the relevance of the date come from a conversation between Meg and her brother instead of a weirdly convenient radio announcement. And there are no more no, convenient and radio announcements throughout the rest of the movie. That's the only point in the movie where, where what's going on is telegraphed so blatantly. And the thing is, is like the rest of the movie is so ambiguous that Yes, like... I would have appreciated more awkward news announcements. Like, <laughs> local boy falls off giant leaf dragon. There we go. More at 11. <laughs> leaf dragon. <laughs> you know, help me out here. I don't know what's happening. Yeah. yeah. There's mm-hmm. there's definitely more of this movie that should have been very blatantly explained. Oh, yeah. 100% agree. Fix one in the box. Mustachio? Do you have a take, a hot take, a fit, not a hot take, a fix? Do you have a fix? A hot fix. A hot fix. I got, I got a fix. All right, so this uh, darkness, it could have been used a bit more. We could have found out a little bit more about this black thing in the sky, this this it of Kamazots, this dark energy, this, this evil incarnate. I feel like it's just not touched on enough. I feel like there, there could have been more to it. Is, is there... 
a chaos that's arising on this utopian planet. Um, show me how. Um, this fix could have been put in such a way where the children are learning that this darkness is keeping the planet uh, off of its orbital pattern. Show me how and reveal the darkness and how it's now changing this place for the worse. Yeah, I have a good example. So, never-ending story. They're fighting against the nothing, right? Yeah. And the yeah. nothing is essentially just like a dark cloud of, of, of evil stuff. But they explain very early on what the nothing is. The nothing is destroying, it's destroying all of Fantasia because children don't believe in stories anymore. Yeah. They could have explained something like that with this darkness, which is essentially like the nothing. Like they could have just very easily said, this is happening, it's evil, and it's happening because of blank. What would have been a really amazing flashback for that scene as well, another like a little like addendum to your fix, is they could have shown how this thing has been around for a long time and that great historical figures have fought against it. Because yes. in, in the book, they explain that great historical figures have fought against this this evil cloud. Uh, I, I mean, in the book, they've got uh, Jesus. It was written by a highly uh, Christian woman. And in the book, the characters spout uh, biblical passages to each yep. other throughout yep. the entire thing but you know uh, jesus fought this thing buddha einstein fought it gandhi, gandhi fought it like how cool would it been to have seen a flashback of great historical figures fighting this thing like and it, it would have put it into a real timeline it it would have grounded it in a little bit of reality which this movie needed once it went from the real world to this fantasy world you're right i think the it and that darkness was very under explained 100% good fix mm -hmm. JC you got one so in the book the it that black thing is taking over Kamazots and what it's doing to that planet in the book is it's it's putting all the inhabitants of that planet into this group think type taking them over causing them to merge into groupthink and no one has any uh, individuality anymore. All, dis all decisions are made for them. And that's kind of the point of the whole story is Meg is trying to come to grips with her own complicated individuality full of faults. My fix would have been for them to show the people of this world in that group think, but more than just that suburbia scene that that we got, which seemed like it was just a little trap set. She should have seen inhabitants forced into this routine, and it should have made her sad that their individuality was gone. Flaws were gone, and flaws and differences are what make each person unique and beautiful. And that also would have given greater context to the it and what the it does and, and why we need to fight it other than quote-unquote it's evil let's go let's circle around back to you lady Juan. what you got for us <laughs> give us your hot fix so another thing i sort of had an issue with was when they were just at home on earth and i think i understand what earth is like i've lived here a while you know i, I kind of know what how world long? i'm in as opposed to the how long we don't yeah. need to talk about that tell the listeners no they want to know. No. No, they don't. No, That's they definitely don't. That's yet a don't. mystery. No, I'm, 
Well, I've established that I'm a millennial. That's as specific as I'm getting. <laughs> and that you don't want movies remade that are older <laughs> than you. That, are, that were made when you were alive. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's, that's good. True. That's distinct enough. Yeah. Let's keep it vague. All right. So before Ish. 1984. Um, go ahead. Whoa. That's not cool or accurate. <laughs> I'm younger than that. Anyway, I was fully lost anytime they were out on different dimensions or different planets but expecting to be. But when they're on Earth and the first time Mrs. What's-It comes to visit, it didn't seem like anybody was reacting appropriately. And that left me as a viewer really unsure what I was supposed to get from the scene. Mm -hmm. Right off the bat, yeah. Yeah, Meg is upstairs talking to her mom and they hear Charles Wallace down in the other room entertaining a guest. And he's five, so he shouldn't be entertaining any guests. So already they should be a little bit on edge. I mean, a member of their immediate family has previously disappeared out from under anybody's nose. So Uh I would get if they were a little wary of random people in their house. But they're not as upset as they should be, especially based on the way she looks. And... She's wearing like this really avant-garde white gown that Charles Wallace asks if she's wearing somebody's sheets because it does kind of look like a bunch of sheets, but not so clearly like a bunch of sheets that you would assume that's what this is. And in the book, she's more of like a kooky neighbor who comes over and that's the guys. Nobody's as upset as they should be if they weren't of the understanding that this is just that weird lady from down the street. And she's clearly not a weird lady from down the street, which is, I think, the way the book presents the situation. So I didn't feel like they committed solidly to her looking like a typical kooky human or a celestial being either. She just seemed weirdly in between. And then their reaction obviously doesn't map to that because it didn't feel like the movie took a stand on how the situation was supposed to be read. So the fact that the mom is just like, well, you know, we don't know you, so you should probably go. That's very passive. And I I just didn't know how to feel about this entire family and this whole story I'm about to go on. That why isn't their reaction? Who are you? Get out of my house and leave my small child alone. They keep, they all keep going over and like physically pulling Charles Wallace away from her, like watching out for him, making sure they're taking care of him. But nobody's making a move to get rid of her. Meg asks if she should call 911 and her mom's like, no, it's fine. <laughs> it's not fine. That's a strange woman in your living room. It's not fine. Um, so it just felt like the movie didn't make a choice. And I would have preferred either way. Make her be incognito and just a weird cat lady or make her be this clearly from another realm. But just pick one. And instead they picked neither and it really weakened the scene. Uh, I have one that's right along with that as far as getting the movie off on the wrong foot right away. Calvin, our love interest rando who shows up (laughs) randomly out of nowhere. Hey. Uh, Hey. You're beautiful. I want to smell your hair. (laughs) He stopped short of sniffing her hair. Yes, he looked like a hair sniffer. Uh, He's going to be an adult hair sniffer. So Calvin, (laughs) there was no establishing scene with Calvin. There really needed to be a school scene involving Meg and Calvin so that when Calvin shows up, it's not completely random. Like he... Calvin literally comes in in the movie out of nowhere 
late later in the film he disappears completely just to show up back at the house it's just like this character just comes and goes with no warning and he's he's not he's not set up to have uh, some kind of huge crush on her like he does in the in the movie she's not set up to have a crush on him yet it happens pretty quickly like the 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 first time you notice that there might be a little love connection is uh when they meet uh mrs uh the one that talks in uh outcast lines yeah mrs who there needed to be an establishing scene with him and if it's not in the book fine fix what's in the book make a good movie uh hit the kid in the face with the ball and have detention cleaning up the science lab meanwhile calvin is in the science lab touching beakers doing science stuff because he is a nerd just establish the characters before calvin just shows up randomly before they walk in to the haunted house and have charles wallace simply say oh the who's it's and what's it's and schmooze it's and heffalumps and woozles <laughs> nice. must have thought that you're oh, must 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 have thought that you're good for the journey. It's not a character. So I thought establishing his character earlier and establishing a little bit of a relationship there earlier would have gone a long way towards Calvin. And also don't make Calvin disappear from the end of the movie and then have him randomly show up. Like give Calvin something to do, like at the end, maybe Calvin is the kid who loves her and she's still fighting the fact that someone loves her or can love her and he sacrifices himself for her while she's with the brain yep. and that, with all the other lessons learned, turns her into a self-confident girl who's willing to use love to fight the brain rather than anger give calvin something else and that's my fix for calvin any last fixes from anyone yeah 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 so i've got i've you know i've got a problem with you know the missuses they never they never morphed into like their centaur selves um like in the ah, book. from the book yes um, yeah like uh, the, the graphic art of every cover page of every version of this book Right, centaurs. It's a that that first planet that they tesser into is actually their planet. Mm-hmm. Yep, and that's their original form, and they they become these um, beings that can trans like morph into humans in order for it to be a more you know digestible you know being to come into Earth and you know take these people away. But they're actually but they're actually beautiful yeah. centaurs. And and you know what? And I I kind of. I understand why they didn't want to focus on the centaur stuff because they wanted to, you know, focus on like the wisdom and strength of these female, you know, like beings, like these, like, uh, you know, uh, very intelligent beings. And they didn't want to distract the kids um, by, you know, these centaurs. So the, the, I understand that, but my problem with it and is that Mrs. What's it, you know, with her criticism of Meg, it kind of undermines this, you know, believed strength and wisdom and focus of these great intelligent beings. So in the movie, she's going to be hyper-criticizing Meg. Um, yeah, she got a little... Lady Juan? Tracy Flick. She got very aggressive and critical. She like brought Tracy the Flick. What, what's, what's, what's Tracy Flick from? 
Tracy Flick is Reese Witherspoon's character in the movie Election with Matthew Broderick. And she's crazy. <laughs> Tracy Flick, she's getting like hypercritical and it's like, oh, come on, mm-hmm. that's distracting. You know, so they're going to get all like uh, Matthew Broderick and, and think, well, why is this even happening? Are these are these <laughs>, laughs just pointed directly at Meg? Is this kind of like Disney's way of saying, hey, we got to punch in some more laughs have Mrs. What's-It say something stupid and hypercritical of Meg again. All right, take 17. So, but this, this like, hypercriticism, to me, like, it undermines this strength and wisdom of these intelligent beings. So in that, you know, absence of this uh, flickish, this flicking that's going on, can (laughs) we just, can we have more scenes where the kids interact with this environment of Uriel Instead of just rolling down a hill or looking at flowers, I want to I want to have them, mm-hmm. you know, exploring and appreciating this this land, uh, as opposed to just you know. Instead of riding on the back of a lettuce a dragon, le- yeah, the leafs leafs dragon not so good. If if you just want to, if yeah. you if you want to actually show an appreciation for this beautiful world, I want to I want to have it like they interact with like grassy meadows and they roll down the well. Uh, Speaking of that, that's funny because they had the chance to interact with those flowers and they, they're they asking the flowers the question, where is the, the dad, right? And Reese Witherspoon goes, oh, they're talking in color. But the, the flowers don't change color. They just flap around. I'm like, okay, they're going to talk in color and we're going to get this visually beautiful scene where like the butterflies all become this wall and they change colors. I'm like, oh, this is going to be great. But they don't. They just kind of flap. Yeah, there's there's so much more that could have been done there. They were at that planet for just seconds. And the thing is, like, apparently they shot some of this movie in New Zealand. Yeah. Did you see any New Zealand in this? <sighs> uh, like, I think that's where they were. For that that yeah, planet, like yeah, but they didn't go anywhere. They went to why, one meadow. They, that was <laughs> like I would have if I was Disney, I would be pissed. I'd be like, wait a minute, we sent you to New Zealand, and you did this one meadow scene that looks like green screen anyway. Yeah, yeah, and it's everything looks green screen, and oh my it God. actually doesn't yeah, feel I, like I, they're there at all. So confused about that. Well, that that had to have been the majority of their you know expense is using actual on screen you know location but then not using it at all, just giving it like this big CGI eraser. Maybe that's how they fit the monolithic Oprah, who I was crazy about. <laughs> I like you keep calling her monolithic Oprah, which is very funny oh, to me. Yeah, she's larger than life. Um, but there, what's not so good about her and her wardrobe is, as my friend P-Fud put it, he didn't like her drag queen-esque cardboard eyebrows, you know? I actually loved all of her eyebrows. Oh, okay. okay. She was serving looks the whole movie, and I was into all of those all right. eyebrows. Listen to Lady One here. This is uh, Lady One. Were, were you into Reese's green lipstick when she went green lipstick? Yes, totally. There we go. Well, we just had St. Patrick's Day, so that's not that weird of a look. <laughs> wow, she got um, away with that one. Yeah, yeah. No, I all of it was very fanciful and it was it was part of the world building but I wanted more. Yeah, and the, that makeup was good. It got rid of the wrinkles. It was uh yeah. yeah. I was distracted I... by Reese Witherspoon's botox because I could Ooh. see that it was in certain parts of her forehead and then other parts were crinkling up like crazy. The irony of the title of this movie is not lost on me right now. 
Well, she only had some wrinkles because she's got Botox in the main part of her forehead. And so it just didn't move there. And it moved a lot in other places. And I was like, oh, Reese, I can see your Botox. Did you say, oh, Tracy, why? (laughs) (laughs) Tracy would get Botox just in one wrinkle. I mean, so would Elle Woods. This was a near impossible fix. They explain nothing in this movie. So to really fix it would be to just almost redo it and just change elements of the book that are just too odd or concentrate more on certain ones. It just some of the choices made in this film um, really do a disservice to the message, which is a very good message. Yeah, Yeah. I felt a lot of times... In particular scenes, I could feel the theme. I could feel what they wanted me to get out of it. Mm -hmm. But that's all I was getting. I wasn't seeing the correlation. I just was like, oh, right. Yeah, yeah. She's emotional and has low self-esteem and doubt and insecurities. And she's emotionally been through a lot with her dad just up and disappearing one day. But I felt like they wanted me to know those things. But they didn't show me them properly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Anything else or should we consider this? Let's do it. Yeah? Let's do it. Yeah? Consider Wrinkle in Time screen fixed. Lady one, no? No? It doesn't You're... work with my my pitch is way off of you guys. It doesn't work. Okay. <laughs> Anyway, do you have any uh, final thought, anyone, for this ep? I do. I have a positive point to end on. So I walked out of this movie, and I was behind a dad and his little girl who was, I don't know, like 11 maybe. And they're walking out, and she's like, I liked it. I don't really know why it's called A Wrinkle in Time, but I liked it. And I watched him (laughs) go get a napkin from the concession stand Mm. and start to explain the folding. (gasps) And I was like, that's why they made this movie. Wow. That's why they made this movie. And it was just so nice to see a little girl and her dad getting something out of this. To get girls in STEM. Wow. That's, I mean, he was explaining like a little movie theater version of relativity to her. That's, that's so special. Yeah. It was it was a really nice moment that made me feel a whole lot better about the movie that I didn't really get. At the end of it, I was like, oh, well, sh- she is getting something out of this that I'm not. And and that's good. There we go. I, I like that. Usually you expect a movie from Disney to try to hit four quadrants. This movie mm-hmm. hit one. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> maybe two. And mm-hmm. which is why it probably failed on many levels for anyone that was in the other two or three quadrants it's just mm-hmm. mustachio do you have a final thought yeah i mean just to touch on it again zach galifianakis's character um was just so good he seemed like his character seemed so lived in um and I, yeah i feel like that character was just a breath of fresh air in an otherwise like a convoluted timeline of what's going on what's like what why is this happening yes it was he for me was a reason to stay awake he had stuff stuff to do poor michael pena yeah Yeah. like how did how did michael pena end up in that movie like (laughs) he was in the movie for about 10 minutes if that it was i was like what michael pena what what is this (laughs) 
And then, uh, okay, I have I, I have one last thought, but it, it has to do with news. Uh, so Shia LaBeouf is going to be playing his dad in a movie. Uh-huh. So LaBeouf is playing Pa Buff. <laughs> Awkward. It's just so odd. You can't make this stuff up. I Anyway, when that movie starts starts to come out, when there's a trailer for that, you'll hear about it here on Screen Fix. Why don't you send us home, Mustachio? All right, I'm going to do it in my white voice. This is um, Leonard, oh um, Leonard McAvoy. Go. Screen Fix listeners, <laughs> I hope you have questions. I hope you do, because if you do, if you have questions or things <laughs> you want to know, talk to us. Tell us about it. Send us an email at screenfix.com. And you know what? However, however you find your podcast, please rate us, review, subscribe. We want to know. All right. We also have a Patreon account for any donations that goes towards our, you know, our equipment here at the Screen Fix Studios. It's just expensive and it, it takes time. It takes desperation or dedication. Oh, it's <laughs> <laughs> so also have aspirations of opening up a one screen uh, movie theater as Screen Fix listeners. You would have the knowledge in yourself that you contributed to something amazing and something special. So around the world, let us know what's going on. We're on Spotify. We're on Google Play. We're on iTunes. We're on everything. Get it. Find us and let us know. Rate, review, subscribe. You're the number one salesman. Number one salesman, Mustachio. Our telemarketer send off. And here's mine, maybe. <laughs> All right, everybody. Uh, that's it for Screen Fix. <laughs> uh, have a good night. Oh, that was great. And I hope you have a great evening. Bye, everybody. Bye.